everybody. Welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm Aaron Pempikulski. Today I'm rocking my sweet brand new acquisition.com hat from my buddy Alex from Mosi. We just launched an incredible new book. If you're a business owner, I absolutely suggest his book, $100 Million Leads. If you haven't read $100 Million Offers, both these books are just non-negotiable. This has absolutely nothing to do with the podcast today, but I thought I'd give a little shout out to Alex because he's truly making an impact, uh, not only on my life, but in the lives of millions of people around the world in understanding business and uh, providing free business education uh, to everyone. And I think it's uh, worthwhile checking out. He's got a great podcast called The Game. Today's podcast is a deep dive into performance psychology. You know that as a previous professional athlete, uh, I have quite a lot of insight into performance psychology, not because uh, of anything. Well, I studied it a lot for sure, but I think the greatest opportunity that existed for me was uh, really pushing the limits of what my brain thought I was capable of and not taking no for an answer and the obsessive persistence that went into becoming a professional athlete, professional bodybuilder, ultimately making to the top of the sport. Um, I would say the psychological aspect is certainly most more important than the physical one. And in the world we live in, um, you know, we're so focused on the physical and so many people fall short of their goals, not because of their the absence of capability or limited capability, but instead um, just the absence of mental fortitude. So I, I invited Dr. Alex Auerbach on the podcast today. He's a performance psychologist currently working as an executive in professional sports. He's worked with the best athletes in the world from the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, and Olympians, as well as high performance in other domains like the military, 500, Fortune 500 companies, and other uh, venture-backed startups. He's currently the director of wellness and development for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, I didn't even get to do this in person, although I should have, because I'm in Toronto right now. Now, Dr. Arbach's uh, area of expertise include, uh, obviously, wellness, uh, mental well-being, high-performance psychology, performing under pressure, leadership, mindset training, systems optimization, and organizational development. He is a stud. I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, people who truly get it are not always easy to come by. And so when a gentleman like this comes on the podcast to give us some unique insights. Uh, I very, very much appreciate it. A few things we talked about, the five factors of performance and two key paths to success. Success. The importance of self-regulation for physiology, psychology, emotions, and more. Uh, growth mindset and the power of feedback. Feedback. Oh, gosh, I think about this a lot. I actually talk to my coaches about it a lot. A, a, a life that that is unexamined, ultimately one that you don't reflect on on a consistent basis. Um, ultimately prevents you from progressing, right? And so feedback, in my opinion, is, you know, either I'm making good progress or I'm not making good progress in any area of life. And sometimes pain is feedback and sometimes uh, sadness is feedback. Sometimes emotions are, are often our emotions are a feedback or our circumstances are a feedback, but people don't always think of it like that. So if you're someone who's growth-minded, uh, you realize that uh, everything in life is just feedback. You get punched in the face, just feedback, right? Do it better next time. That's obviously a metaphor. Hopefully you're not getting punched in the face unless that's your job. Uh, ladies and gents, you're going to love this podcast with Dr. Alex Auerbach. Today's podcast is brought to you by me and the team at Muscle Intelligence. If you are a man or woman, actually, over the age of 25 in this case, um, we are doing a muscle camp so what muscle camps are is really diving into everything you need to optimize your physical body. And, and my goal and my gift to you is to be able to leave there 
uh, understanding your body at a whole new level, not only understanding it intellectually, but ultimately applying it and embodying it. And I think if there's a single massive takeaway that I can impart you with, and, and this sometimes goes uh, kind of over people's heads, but simply the ability to improve the depth of connection to your body will change the trajectory of res results for life. And so if you think of right now, you're on some specific trajectory, maybe a, a, a high upward trajectory, maybe a relatively low uh, upward trajectory, maybe a, a, a parallel or a horizontal trajectory, right? You know, maybe you're not ascending, maybe you're descending in some way physically. And so my goal is to give you some lever or some tool that ultimately puts you on a better trajectory, a higher trajectory to faster results, ultimately where you want to be. And now that may be a different lever for me than it is for you. But ultimately, my uh, zone of genius is finding that lever. And to be honest, I realize it's a small number of things, right? So if you guys have known what I currently do in my business, people come to me and like, hey, man, what should I be doing? And it's it's seldom the, the same thing for everyone, but uh, it's often a very small, narrow number of things. And uh, we just hope you, we just help you, one, understand them intellectually, and then two, put them into practice. And that's really the goal of Muscle Camp, which is being held in uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, uh, the third weekend in September. So you've got a few weeks now uh, when this podcast comes out. And if this podcast has already aired by the time where the, the camp has already gone past, by the time you listen to this podcast, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash camp and check out future dates because we have a lot of future dates coming up. Prior, prior to COVID, I was on the road a lot uh, teaching this camp. And, uh, you know, every single person that leaves, you know, with the exception of literally one in the last eight years, uh, said it was life-changing. And that one said, uh, yeah, I was terrible and I didn't get enough attention. And so we've since um, changed it, right? I, I keep a very limited number of people relative to the number of coaches, a very exclusive offer. And it's not uh, ridiculously priced. It's definitely fairly priced. And, and every single person that comes so far, <laughs> it's always my goal is to make sure you get enough individual attention and you get the action on you need to leap to be successful. So uh, shout out to Muscle Intelligence, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash camp, C-A-M-P, and uh, ultimately register now. And if we don't have any space left, then look for the next camp near you. And to be honest, guys, we're not going to be doing these all over the world because one of the things people often say is, hey, can you come to my city? I'm like, no, you can't. Like, if you really care about your results, if you really care about your progress, hop in a plane, let's do this together. We're an incredible facility here at Pure Muscle and Fitness. Um, so don't waste time. Let's do it. Uh, a special shout out to our sponsor for today's podcast, Natural Stacks, naturalstacks.com slash muscle to get you 15% off their incredible products. And I've told you before, and you've probably heard me talk about why I've actually used Natural Stacks for, God, it'll be 10 years almost now. Uh, once I read the book, The Edge Effect by Eric Berman, I started to understand neurotransmitters and the neurotransmitter approach to brain optimization. So we have dopamine brain food and we have acetylcholine uh, brain food and they have serotonin precursors and they have GABA precursors and all these things have a very specific effect on how we feel day to day, minute to minute. And once I learned how to manipulate my dopamine with these literal ingredients that they use here in their their products, my performance went up in all areas of life. And then when I realized that I could I could influence my serotonin and my GABA, my sleep just went through the roof. And so I specifically use their products on a regular basis because I don't like these catch-all nootropic products that are just like, hey, we're going to throw everything in there because everyone's brain is different and every time of the day is a different time, right? It's, it's a different, has a different requirement. 
So for me, uh, I want to be able to choose how much dopamine precursor I get and how much acetylcholine precursor I get because taking a lot of it is not a good idea, or at least not frequently, right? So some of these uh, kind of catch-all nootropics products just throw with a kitchen sink in there, and I'm just not a fan. So I don't use them, but I do use Natural Stacks, naturalstacks.com slash muscle, or you can just go to naturalstacks.com, use the code muscle15 at checkout to get 15% off. Uh, ladies, gents, listen all the way in. Hopefully, we'll see you at Muscle Camp. And uh, if you have any questions for me, you can hit into the Muscle Intelligence Facebook group where we're setting all of our free information, all of our videos, all of our free assets are going in that group. Uh, we're going to be doing some really interesting stuff coming in the future. Actually, I've been recording so much information. It kind of makes my head hurt. You guys know I'm writing a certification, uh, really studying the mechanisms of muscle building and mechanisms of fat loss and mechanisms of metabolic optimization and so much more. So I can understand more effectively for me and for you and ultimately everyone out there who wants to live their greatest life and bodily love. Enjoy the podcast with Alex Harback. Mindset is the black box, right? And there's some people out there who are quantifying high performance mindsets who are ultimately objectifying the subjective. And when a, when a high performance athlete, like the people you work with and people I work with are succeeding or not succeeding, um, we know that the mind uh, seems to lead the way or yeah, in either direction, right? Whether it be positive or negative. And people who are truly crushing it are doing something unique and doing something worth talking about or worth exploring. And there's so far in, in my journey, again, I haven't I haven't explored too many people in this space, but there's there's not a lot of people that have that have come to the table with like an understanding of, hey, this is the difference between someone that succeeds and fails or and or maybe and this is how to do it because like i know for myself my whole journey as a professional bodybuilder was just nut your way through it shut up and work harder keep going and i was very blessed to have a very resilient mind and a very resilient body uh, because of a lot of adversity as a kid but not everyone is given that not, and sometimes we want to give people like the question is should we be giving our kids adversity and and, and having them overcome hard things or just developing, you know, the the resilience and growth mindset. There's so much. Everything to me for me comes back to kids because I have children, and, and they're the most important thing in my life. Uh, but I, yeah, I'd love to have you talk about just kind of how you maybe you could start about how you got into performance uh, mindset coaching, and then how you look at it. So when someone comes into your world, you know, how are you assessing somebody? Yeah, man, there's so so much to unpack here, and uh, I'm glad to be doing it with you. And I'm fascinated by your world too. I mean, I, I got into weightlifting and like not i wouldn't say never competitively training but just got super interested in it in my kind of mid-teens and my, actually my middle brother got like really really into bodybuilding so it's just like a world from the outside looking in that i think has some pretty elite competitors and requires a really different way of thinking about training and like there's a meticulousness to it that i think is pretty remarkable that's like on par with some of the other elite spaces in the world so i'm i'm looking forward to learning some from you too as we go today to give a really quick version of my background so i started my career as a college football coach and that was kind of my dream so i did that for a few years kind of bounced around started as an undergrad assistant worked my way up to a full-time assistant coach and just kind of burned out and in that process was really searching for like what is it that i want to spend my time doing and found that what i loved was always the relationships with the players it was the little things like thinking about what major should you man, you know, study or how do you manage this relationship challenge that you have or how do we keep you out of trouble and in the classroom kind of thing. 
Um, and I was searching for like, where could I find more of that? And I landed in psychology and then I was lucky enough to have someone along the way who was like, Hey, you should really think about sports psychology. Like that's a, that's a whole thing. I was like, what's sports psychology? I've never heard of that, you know? And then got into it a little bit more. I had a mentor kind of showed me a couple paths and then ended up getting my PhD in counseling psychology, that kind of a double major basically in performance psych. And then ultimately, you know, the, the rest is history, as they say, became the performance psychologist here in Toronto. But I think as I've thought about my own journey, like a lot of it starts kind of before that. Like I was never the most gifted athlete, but I made some pretty competitive teams as a kid. I think in large part, because of my brain, because I, you know, could see the field differently or make decisions differently or learn things differently. It was a little bit easier, I think, for me to execute. And it made up for some of the skill deficit I had, right? I wasn't the fastest kid. I couldn't run before this. I didn't have the best stamina, but I could do things. I grew up playing a lot of soccer. I could do things in the middle of the field or at the front of the field that other people just couldn't do. And then that sort of turned into like this whole fascination now I have with, with everything, peak performance. And so, yeah, to get to your question, now when I think about evaluating or assessing, you know, there are a few things you look for. So one of the things you, you mentioned is kind of like difficult upbringings or adversity or, or trauma. There's a line of research called talent needs trauma. And it's just this idea that like there is some need for adversity and repeatedly overcoming adversity for people to really make it to the highest level. I'm not convinced that it needs to be capital T trauma. You know, it might just be little challenges along the way, but building that resilience and building really your adaptive capacity to deal with stress, I think is a critical part. And we've seen it time and again in professional sports where someone has kind of a, you know, the roads paved to them and they get here and we don't, we don't do anything like that for you anymore, right? No one's rolling out the red carpet when you're a rookie, like you got to earn it. There is a little bit of a learning curve there for guys that haven't had that adversity in the past. So I can't say I look for that necessarily in terms of selecting talent, but I'm definitely thinking about that and assessing for that when someone comes into my office, like what is your capacity to deal with this? And then beyond that, I'm kind of looking at a few factors. So one is the environment that you put yourself in. Um, you know, the environment has a huge impact on your overall performance, on your behavior. Um, some studies show that it's like up to 70% of the English Institute of Sport to the study that showed about 70% of your behaviors influenced heavily by your environment. And it makes sense. It's kind of intuitive, right? But the rest of performance is really part of your environment's crap. <laughs> I mean, so environment is the people who are around you, the places you go, who's kind of in your circle, the way that they support you, all those stuff to me are, are all those things to me are sort of environmental, social. The second is that challenge you, right? The way that they, the way that they challenge you, and the way that you receive those challenges, I think would be a big. I know for me that was a big thing, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of looking at three dimensions, all based on self determination theory. So the first is, you know, do these people support your autonomy, right? Do they encourage you to make independent choices? Do they allow you to experiment? Are they thinking about what you might need to do to grow and develop on your own, right? And this gets back to that sort of like the, you know, helicopter parent or the Zamboni parent, right? The people who paved the way, like ultimately it undermines autonomy, right? You're, what you're teaching someone to do is not make decisions. And, you know, at some point, like the training wheels have to come off and someone's going to have to make real choices about how they train, the way that they show up professionally, how they prepare for an MBA game. And that, can be facilitated by being in an autonomy supportive environment, right? Giving people choice, giving people control, um, and then sort of guiding, right? Like, and you mentioned your kids and I have a nine month old, so I'm like quickly learning here. Thank you. That's been awesome. You know, like you, you kind of have to 
guide, right? But you can't decide. And I think if you can find people in the environment who are doing that, that can really empower someone to kind of take ownership of their own behavior, their own performance. So that's one element I'm looking for. And what I mean by that is people who are encouraging your growth and development, not people who are cutting you down, not people who are telling you everything that's wrong with you, but people who are really thinking about your own growth and development, which doesn't mean we ignore the bad stuff. Right. Like they can give you critical feedback, they can give you honest feedback about where they need to improve, you need to improve. But ultimately, they're really thinking about how do they build you up? How do they help you understand as a performer what unique skills that you have that you can leverage that facilitate peak performance? And then the third element of the environment I'm looking for is kind of what the psychologists would call relatedness. Right. But it's this idea that we're like connected, that we matter to each other, that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Um, and so, you know, you're always skeptical like in the MBA, for example, of people who come in whose, let's say, parents are making all the decisions and kind of controlling them, or they're doing it because they're kind of being like cajoled into something, but they don't really love the game, right? Like you're looking for that really supportive, encouraging, connected environment, because uh, that brings out the best in people. It doesn't mean you can't get there if you don't have some of these factors, but I think you're exactly right. That kind of like you need a little challenge, you need a little encouragement, you need a little support, you need to be challenged to take ownership and that can really push you to the next level. As you say, so much to unpack. You know, when I think of you know some of the most high-performing guys in the world, this one sentence comes to mind is, you know, is it confidence breeds excellence or does excellence breed confidence? And some of the top guys that I, that I speak to or that I work with, it's almost like the confidence came first and then they just believed in themselves and they believed in their capability and they they, they because of that confidence or, or swagger or egocentricity you know I'm not, I know that's a loaded and I just generalized a lot there but um, I'm curious in your experience do you have any thought around you know these guys who are really performing at a high level when it comes to their, their belief in themselves is it just because they just know they're good or is it, do, you know, do they know they're good first so that they become good or do they do so well on the way that the, their confidence just kind of continues to grow? I think usually where it starts is someone told them they were really good and then they internalized that, right? And then they're like, yeah, you know what? I actually am really good. I mean, I definitely agree. You've got to have this level of almost delusional self-belief mm-hmm. to reach the very highest level because you're going to go through some really tough crap, right? Like so you just have to slow you down. You just keep going. Exactly. Yeah. You have to believe that you're going to get there. But the way I see your statement is actually, it's kind of like a virtuous cycle, right? If you're confident, that's going to enhance your performance and you're going to perform well. And now all of a sudden you have more reason to be confident, right? And it just sort of keeps building and building and building. And then that's how I think over time, that kind of like I think of it as almost like, you know, delusional, but in a positive way, this delusional self-belief that like, I can do anything, I can take anything on. And I think a lot of that by the best performers in the world, I'm sure this is true in your space, like it's earned, right? Like you don't come to believe that you can, I don't know, deadlift 500 pounds by just like walking into the gym your first day and being like, yeah, I can deadlift 500 pounds. Like you work your way up there. Right. And you have these moments where you kind of break through a plateau and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm way more capable than I thought. And then I can take the next leap. And so that's how you see that cycle kind of playing out. And then next thing you know, you have the best in the world on your hands. Yeah. Interestingly though, like, I know this is sharing my experience. 
I had no idea that I could be the best. I just knew that I would be. It was, so I, I didn't have any proof, right? When I was when I was 16, 17 years old, I was a little skinny twerp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I, I know. Like I, I saw the Mr. Olympia contest. So I was like, that's where I'm going. I'm like, there's nothing that's going to stand in my way. I had no proof that I would get there, but I just had this undying knowing. I was like, I just won't stop until I get there. So I understand the like you need some proof, but like if you would have saw me at that age, you'd be like, "There's," and everyone was like, "There's no way." And so it's funny because like I didn't have the yeah. genetics, I didn't, I didn't have the silver spoon, and they'll figure it out. So it's an, I mean, human psychology is so interesting, uh, yeah, so fascinating. So you you mentioned the kind of three areas, and I'm curious what happens when an athlete comes to you who has the talent, but they don't have the the supportive environment. So you see they're capable. They're struggling in, in in with the with the supportive environment, or they don't have someone who's pushing them, or you know they're they're in, they're intermingled in, in an environment that isn't accurate for them. And, and one of my clients that I'm currently working with comes to mind right now, super talented guy, and his environment is crap. But he keeps he keeps slipping on some things he shouldn't be slipping on, and like big big deal things, and uh, he doesn't know how to get out. And so I'm curious how you would uh, approach something like you, know, you don't have to use that exact example, but. For anyone that comes to mind for you as an athlete, you know, you're you're super capable. You could be one of the next greats, but you're missing some of these other pieces. How does that? How do you? How would you approach something like that with them? My first thought is, I try to help them go find it. Right. So it's like it's not like you couldn't create that environment. I mean, I think we we tend to think about. I mean, this is like a very typical work example, but follow follow along for a minute as I take you on my meandering journey to your question here. Um, <laughs> Like when people think about going to work, they think that they just enter the building and now they've entered a new environment as though there's nothing they could do to change it unless they're the CEO or the boss. And that's just not true, right? Like, and we talk about kids again, like kids start shaping their environment from the time that they're born, right? They cry, they see, does mom respond? Does dad respond? If they don't, they do it differently. If mom and dad do respond, they do it the same, right? And so they start to shape the world around them. And so we have a lot more control over who's in our space and who's in our environment and how our environment helps us than we often choose to acknowledge. And so my thought in this kind of situation would be, one, how do we detach you from this old stuff that's pulling you back, right? And and how do we work our way to the point where we can really make that decision? And often it's very, very hard, right? It's very hard to let go of uh, there's a reason people say like old habits die hard, right? It's hard to let go of old relationships and old people and people who have been kind of at one time maybe in your corner and now aren't in your corner or the relationship has evolved a lot or they've just never been good for you, but they played a really significant role. Like those things can be very, very challenging to move on from. And if you want to achieve your full potential, this might be a change you have to make. And so rather than focus on solely cutting out the bad, I'd be thinking about, okay, how do we build this new space that allows you to dominate, to thrive, to be the best that you can be. And as we do that, it will become clearer that you need to let go of some of this stuff. And then we can sort of work on that part together. Uh, so that's how I think about managing that kind of situation. But it is a very tricky one. It makes sense. because, And one thing that comes up is like, I know a lot of people who are exceptional athletes or, or high performers in any space, and they're loyal. They're very loyal to the people who have brought them there. And sometimes that's a great asset, but sometimes that's the very thing that holds them back. You know, they are loyal to the people that got them there and they, they maybe know or don't know or don't want to believe that they need something to change and you can just see it. And like trying to convince somebody of that is, is sometimes a big challenge. 
Yeah, it, it can be hard to sort of recognize like when when a relationship has run its course, right? Mm. And I think it's, no one likes losing a relationship, right? Because it's always a loss of a, a little bit of a loss of identity and then also a loss of someone important. But I think this is, this is one of the challenges. It's one of like the sacrifices or kind of pieces that you have to go through if you really want to be great at what you do is you do have to, all of this stuff has to be pulling in the right direction for you to have a top 1% outcome. When you're looking to, I know you say you're you're approaching the draft right now. When you're looking at bringing on uh, a young talent, what types of things are the deal breakers for you, or what type of? And you can go with that in either direction, right? Like this is someone we're gonna need because they know they're gonna be successful. They just have the right mindset. Is that all about the things you're saying, the environment? And conversely, what are the negative things? You're like, hey, this is a deal breaker. This guy's this guy's not gonna do what we need them to do. Yeah. Well, so the the first part I look for is the environment, but the other sort of three or four categories I think about. The second is kind of like foundational well-being skills, right? So like you can't perform if you're not well. It's like trying to run on a torn ACL. Like it's just not going to happen, right? So you need some basic coping skills, right? Stress management skills, psychological skills, mindset skills, kind of like just, again, core kind of ways that you exist that help you sort of maintain your balance in the world, right? Um, and not slip into something where it's hard to pull out of and keep you sort of well. So that's one factor I think about. The second factor is like these optimized mindsets that I've, I've written a little bit about where it's like a growth and a fixed mindset, stress is enhancing mindset, recovery is an investment mindset, like thinking about those things. So those two pieces, the wellness piece and the optimized mindsets piece are also an important part of this equation in addition to the environment. And then the final piece that the data supports is most important is this idea of self-regulation and self-regulation broadly is kind of the ability to direct your thinking, feeling, and physiology plus direct your learning. And so when I think about kind of the gold standard, what I'm really thinking about is like how good of a self-regulator are you, right? Like, are you aware of who you are? Are you aware of what your values are? Are you aware of how you feel, what you think, how to change it? Do you know how to optimize your learning? Can you pick out when you've made a mistake? Do you, a mistake? Do you know how to refine it? Can you sort of direct yourself essentially, right? Because there's so many hours in the day where like we can't watch you. And so we've got to really trust, believe, know, understand that you can do it, right? You can take some of that on and that you see yourself ultimately as the owner of your own process, right? Like as much as we believe in anyone that we draft, you have to want it. Like we can't want it for you. Right. And so I, I look for some of those things. I wouldn't say I have any like deal breakers in either direction, really. This is, I think, probably more informed by my own ideas, but I think in the right circumstances, you can help almost anyone achieve their potential. I think the real key and maybe the only deal breaker is like, do you actually want to do that? You know, and we've been fortunate in that and I think this is true of a lot of NBA players. I can't speak for other sports. Like there is a high degree of want it, you know, and how, and do they know what to do? You know, that all varies. Right. But recognizing that this is an outcome that they're after, I think is, is really the key step. And I'm sure this is true in any high performance space, right? If you don't want it, like no one can make it happen. Well, you. so tell me how you actually identify what, how it, whether or not somebody wants it, because me saying yeah. I want it doesn't actually mean that I'm going to do what it's, what it, what it takes to do it. Right. That has to be in my in my experience, that's something that burns deep inside. That's like no one's I always say like there's not a single person in the world that could have yelled at me enough to make me do what I needed to do in bodybuilding. 
it had to come out from somewhere just deep inside and it could be from a wound and it could be from something, but there, there's literally nothing that anyone outside of me could have ever done to make me go through what I went through. So how do you begin to identify that? I wish I had the answer to this question because then I would bottle it up and I would sell it like in Vegas or something. And you know, <laughs> I have a much, I have a much different career trajectory than what I have now. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know what the best way to identify that is. What I can say is I try to look for signs that there might be obstacles to that, right? So you look for like almost the barriers, but it's, it's very, very hard. I mean, there's a reason that this, this stuff is so challenging. So I wish I, I wish I had the answer. I I don't think I do quite. You could make a you could make a career of studying just that question. Like you think of like a Tom Brady, right? Yeah. And like no one no one could see what he had inside. But I wonder if you asked him the right questions. Eventually, if you could be like, yeah, this guy's got it. And because but then there's also the subjective nature of like maybe he doesn't have it physically. Maybe he's got it mentally. Like maybe he's he's the strongest mental person in the world. He's got. It. He's going to do whatever it takes. But his physical body may not hold up, or he may get injured, or he may not physically be capable. You know, there's so much, so many potential factors within that. It'd be a yeah. really interesting uh, area of exploration. Is like, what questions would you have to ask someone who's a very high performer, like a Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, even LeBron, to go, "Yeah, this is the real deal." Skill sets, the real deal, but psychologically, mm-hmm. like you could see this as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you know, we'd probably need more time at that time they give us to get to the answer. <laughs> Oh, but Man, it would be it would be an interesting exercise. So what what comes to mind? I'm putting you on the spot. What comes to mind? Like if you had the opportunity to interview you know, the greatest of all time, you, you had Tom, you had you had Jordan, you had Kobe, and you could ask them a few questions. Like what what, what do you think would be the thing that that would be like? This is it. This is the one thing that I would know. This guy's the real deal. Man, that, you are putting me on the spot. I appreciate this exercise. <laughs> I'm sure this is going to be wrong too. I'd, I'd probably first want to understand like what motivates you or what's your why. I know that's kind of like a, it's become a more like popularized question now, but I, I do think there is like an element to, if you can figure out what the why is, it'll at least point you to the idea, like whether or not that motivation is sustaining right so if someone's why is like oh i just want to make a bunch of money right it's like okay well there's a lot of ways to do that like are we clear that that's going to kind of keep you engaged maybe like i I don't know right and so you i'd maybe start to tease some of that apart and kind of figure out down that line of questioning like what is really engaging you what motivates you what do you do when things get hard uh what's your typical response to failure how do you make sense of failure I think those would be some things I'd ask. Um, you can ask simple questions like, do you hate to lose or love to win more? And that might give you a sense of like what keeps people fueled. What's the uh, better answer? Because I don't know. I, I don't know that there is a better answer. <laughs> but I think it's telling, right? Like, and you think about, you know, the people who love to win, right? For me, I think about that a little bit more in the concept of like approach motivation, right? So you're engaged, you're trying to go after something that's meaningful for you. And then if you don't get it, you're more inclined to like get up and try again. Whereas if you have the hate to lose, that's maybe a little bit more avoidance motivation, right? So if you lose, what happens? Like, are you going to cascade into this sort of behavior where you ultimately don't try as hard because you're trying to save face? Or are you going to grip tighter? And that's going to maybe cause you to lose some control and like a paradoxical sense. Like there's a lot of ways to kind of make sense of that. But I would be thinking about, really, it's about the constellation of all these things together. It's not about one straight line, but how do 
all how does your why map on with your hate to lose love to win map on with your self-regulatory ability map on with your current skill set like all these things have to come together to get to that really special power i mean there's a reason we only have whatever like a handful of people across all sports that we would ever consider throwing in the goat conversation well and something's come up for me recently quite often is cognitive dissonance right so like people are like yeah you know i have what it takes i'm capable and, and you and it's like you realize that some people are delusional about what they they're actually capable of and i had never kind of thought about that um until maybe very recently in the last 18 months um i was so you're sitting listening to people going i don't think that's accurate <laughs> What you're telling me, what's coming out of your mouth? I don't think that's accurate. And and people are just like, yeah, that's you know. I'm like, ah, interesting. Anyways, I don't I don't want to go down that path. Is there anyone out there right now interviewing the like people like Jordan and and um, Brady and the you know LeBrons and like there's got to be someone getting into the psychology. Like if you if if not, t- take the take the lead, man. We need it. The world needs to understand it. Yeah. Well, you're starting to see some of it. There was a really good book. I think it was written by Jim Gray called Talking to Goats. He's a former broadcaster and he kind of talks a little bit about his experience and you get a glimpse in there but then you're starting to see some of this stuff really in like the documentaries coming out right like the free solos of the world the formula one the new tennis series breakpoint and full swing like these things are started last dance like all these are starting to give you glimpses but i don't think anyone's been granted access yet to like Here's a handful, you know, there's a series, I think it's on Apple or HBO, one of the two that they, um, all about kind of elite performance and this, these little clips, but even then, like you really can't get deep enough in that. Yeah. You want a functional MRI, Jordan's brain always <laughs> plays in a game, right? Like, like what's happening in that, in that cranium, how do I reproduce it? That's right. Yeah. It's pretty um, special. Yeah. So tell me about self-regulation. You kind of, you got to give us a high level overview, but, uh, you saying that's the most important aspect, what specifically is it how do we do it how do, how do we know someone's got it uh let's go a little bit deeper on that so i think about it in two parts so i'll, I'll kind of go down both paths the first is the ability to kind of control and direct your thinking feeling and physiology and so that's about skills like mindfulness breath work self-talk imagery visual you know visualization relaxation there's a whole host of things that go in there but it's really the ability to like I don't want to overuse this word, but it's kind of the idea of control your mind, right? Like you're aware of what you need, how to energize yourself, when to calm down, when to ramp up, and you have the skill set to be able to do that at a high level. I think that plays into all sorts of things, right? It plays into things like decision-making, emotional control, being fully present, being engaged, committed, disciplined, like all of that comes down to having that really clear mental model of who you are, what you need, how to get yourself ready, how to prepare, how to stay in it, that I think just without that, you cannot reach the highest level. You can be good, but you can't be at all time great, I don't think, without that. So that's one factor. And then the second element is what they call self-regulated learning, which is really the ability to set a goal, actively monitor your progress, evaluate, and adjust. And what we find is that people who take themselves through this learning loop master skills a bit faster. They work on the hard stuff a little bit more. They train with a little bit different intensity and deliberateness to the way that they operate. And that allows them to essentially compound the growth of that skill over time. And so now you've got the ability to stick in it and do really tough stuff and control your psychology enough to do that, coupled with a real meticulousness in the way that you learn new skills. 
And then over time, those things come together in the moment of performance for you to really deliver. All of a sudden, you've got a really mastered, deeply ingrained skill with this incredible psychology that I think is, is sort of the sweet spot. And some of the early data that we've got on this shows that like, you know, elite soccer players who are up higher in their self-regulation skills uh, make more money, make more national team appearances, which as you know from soccer, like, you know, playing on the national team in soccer, it's like the absolute highest level that you can can get to, unlike other sports where maybe like, you know, basketball, for example, like the NBA might be considered a little bit higher level than FIBA, like soccer, that that is the pinnacle, like playing for Team Argentina, Brazil, you, like that, that is a sign that you're one of the best in the world. And this factor separates those guys from the guys who are playing at a level just like the NBA, right? This elite club level sport, which is pretty cool. Something that came up while you're talking there is like, and it's almost belief in self, but it's also annoying. It's like, what what am I capable of doing physically, and what am I capable of doing mentally? Because I think some people have 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 um, borders, walls. You know, they're like I'm not physically capable of that. I'm not mentally capable of that. So the idea of like pushing the physical and mental capability further, right? The, the psychological capability, like knowing that you know, sort of thinking of myself. I just knew I was I was willing to do anything mentally that I needed to do. And physically I would do whatever I was capable. Like I would just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I never thought there was a, I never thought there was a limit to what I was physically or mentally capable of. And I think I feel like that's a for for what I've experienced, probably a pretty strong predictor of, of like if you can get under the hood of somebody and say, like, where is this person's physical and mental capacity? What do they believe they're capable of? And this actually brings me back to the idea of, you know, actually sitting right here beside my desk reading a book uh king warrior magician lover sorry um it's really about the transition from from boyhood to, to manhood into masculinity and uh talking about the idea of like how do you how do you know when you're a man like what what makes you a man and it's it's you know moving away from the childhood boyhood fears and moving into confidence and knowing and strength. And, uh, and I'm curious how that ties in to sports. Cause in sports, the knowing comes from physical capability and a skill as far as psychological capability. Is that something you guys explore at all? Like, yeah, you know, the, the, the journey from boyhood into masculine energy. Cause I think a lot of these athletes are treated like celebrities from the time they're 12 they get to 21, they're still acting like they're 13 or they're 12 or 13 years old, and they don't know how to balance a checkbook. They don't know how to manage their life. Like you're saying, they don't have these basic life skills. And I could imagine that would really weigh on their psyche unconsciously because they, they lack the, the confidence to know they can. That's what I kind of work there. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'm always thinking about that for the, the players I, I worked with and even the people I work with kind of outside of, of sports. Like there's just this, you do kind of have to take stock of like where people are developmentally. Do they really understand and grasp like one, the responsibility that they have, you know, especially like if you think about professional sports, you're kind of representing in our case, right? You're representing a country, you're representing a team, you're representing an organization. Like it's a very, very different big responsibility that these, these young men are taking on and they really haven't ever had the opportunity to experience that in a real way before. And so, you know, I think it's our responsibility to try to like help them and coach them them and sort of give them the tools to sort of like ex- explore some of that a little bit deeper and make sense of it for themselves but it's, it's definitely something we think about and i don't think 
again, I don't think I have the answer to this one necessarily, but what I do think about for these guys is things like, how do we help you understand who you are and what you value? How do we help you figure out how to take care of yourself, not just like your material needs, but your emotional needs, your psychological needs, um, so that you can be a better teammate, you can be a better partner, you can be a better person when you leave here. And I think that's one of our responsibilities when we bring you into the organization is to help you, whether you retire a Raptor or you leave the Raptors after your first contract or training camp, whatever, right? For whatever reason it might be, hopefully between when you joined and when you left, we helped you make some progress on that part. How do you do that? So that was, well, you said that the, one of the first things you said was we help you identify your values. How, how do you, what, what processes are you using to help? And, and how do you help support people to live inside those values to first identify them and then live within them? Yeah. So, I mean, wonderful question. So uh, there's uh, so many ways you can identify values. My favorite way of kind of thinking about values with people is to do some kind of like futuristic reflective exercise, right? So, you know, if we wanted to do this for you, Ben, it'd be like, you know, imagine your retirement party from coaching or weightlifting, like, what would you want people to say about you? Not what would they say about you or what would they say about you right now, but what would you like to be said about the kind of person you are, the coach you are, the bodybuilder you are? And from that, you can derive a lot of concepts around values, right? I was hardworking. I was thoughtful. I was kind. I was caring. I was a good teammate, right? Like those things all give you some sense of direction around what really matters to this person. Uh, I was a winner, right? I was a competitor. And then from there, so, okay, awesome. So we've, we've wrapped up sort of with a bow, like what values, concepts you, you want to live. What do you need to do today to get closer to that? And how can we turn that into a goal, right? So what would we be looking for in the next 30 days to know if you were making meaningful progress? What would feel different? What behaviors would you be doing differently? And you might get back things like, um, you know, I'd be more vocal on the court or I'd talk with my partner more, uh, you know, or in the case of someone like you thinking about like weightlifting or bodybuilding, it might be like, um, you know, I'm showing up consistently and I bring good energy, right? Or I'm encouraging of other people in the gym. Like there's lots of ways to go about living there's no one right way, but you do have to name it and then frame it in a goal, I think, for people to really maximize the utility of the values in that regard. Do you think there's there's a place for, so I'm just I'm putting my, myself in the shoes of an 18-year-old athlete who comes in and you ask him the question, hey, what do you want to be when you retire? I suspect that an 18-year-old athlete's worldview is very limited. Their understanding of what, what the potential that they could be is very limited. Do you have any ways of of exposing young, high-performing athletes to a broader worldview, like a broader scope of potential? So when I get to 80 or 60 or whatever, whenever I retire, if I did, or you know, I'm in my obituary, um, yeah, what am I what if I'm very limited in what I, what I see as possibilities? That's a great question, too. I mean, one, I would say, like, you'd be surprised at the number of 18-year-olds who actually have a sense of what they want their mark to be on the world. They just may not know how to get there yet. I mean, you mentioned this even about yourself, right? At 16, you, like, knew kind of intuitively that you would be great at something. You weren't sure exactly how you'd get there yet, but, like, you had that that vision for yourself. And so I think a lot of 18 and younger people have that vision. Then the question is, okay, well, what qualities 
do you want to exhibit while you're living that vision out? And I think people can generally think about that pretty constructively, but you've got to leave room for the values to evolve, right? Like who I was when I was 21, making decisions very different than who I am at my early thirties now thinking about a family and all those other things. And so, you know, when you try to encourage or what I try to encourage in those situations, it's really, um, an orientation toward like a something bigger than yourself. I think that's like the most important part of that. I think the rest of the worldview, that stuff that's going to come with time, with living a little bit more. And I don't, for me personally, like I don't necessarily believe in speeding up someone else's journey like that. Like I kind of believe it, let them go on their own journey and, you know, be here to support. And obviously, you know, you try to catch people before they fall in potholes or whatever, but, you know, assuming there's no potholes, like, you've got to kind of figure it out and the lessons will be more valuable if you dig into it. And so it's my job to sort of like help you start looking and get going, right? As long as you're on the path and you're making progress, I feel fairly comfortable and confident. And that's true for any high performer. And then as we go, it might turn out that, um, you know, this other thing is suddenly much more important, right? Maybe you, you're now going to have a family and you're going to recalibrate or something happens in your existing family. You needed to change your your approach, so that's how I think about kind of introducing the the bigger stuff. Um, but I am really looking for. I mean, ultimately, I think we all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We all want to feel connected to something larger and feel like we made an impact. And so that's what you sort of keep pushing for until you find it. I love the nuance of your thought process. It's, speaking along those lines, I told you I've become a mega fan of your Twitter overnight. And you wrote something recently about um, growth mindset and fixed mindset, whereas historically, at least myself personally, I'm guilty of, of making it polar. Like it's it's like you're either this or you're this. And I, I also acknowledge that it's situational. Some people can grow both growth mind in certain areas and fixed in others. But you actually made it even more nuanced than that. And you suggest that most success or great athletes are both growth mindset and fixed mindset in the same circumstance. I'd love to have you unpack that for us. Yeah. So I think big picture, I mean, it's important to write like where the research started was really on this idea that you could be high or low in both, right? So they're sort of orthogonal concepts, right? And it was really based on what was originally called incremental and entity theories of intelligence, right? It was this idea that like intelligence is a fixed thing. There's not much you can do to change it. Or intelligence is an incremental thing. And with hard work, effort, and some persistence, you can make it better. And so then Carol Dweck wrote a great book, growth mindset and then mindset, but everyone sort of like locked into the growth mindset and became like sort of catch all, frankly, garbage term for um, like what people think is the most important way to exist. Right. And then they sort of like morphed it into all these other things. Right. So growth mindset became like, oh, you can always learn from failure and you're always growing. You're always developing. You're constantly searching for new knowledge. And it's like, well, that's not really what this data shows and it's also not like you're now attaching all these sort of tangential concepts that don't have any support right so like we know for example it's way harder to learn from failure than we think it is so people will always say like oh you know failure is a great learning opportunity like it's not really it's not really that great of a learning opportunity it really depends on how you do it and how you process the failure and when you process the failure and with whom and so it's like you've got to kind of like dig into it a little bit and so that's where I started with this premise. It was like, what does the real data suggest? And it turns out that like in an elite competitive environment, what you really want is a high level of both, right? 
Because what I want you to believe is you have an immense amount of talent. <laughs> you have this really important quantity entity that lives within you that allows you to do what you do, right? You have a signature strength. You have incredible physical capacity. You have uh, elite size, speed, talent, whatever. And you believe that with hard work, effort, and persistence, you can maximize that. You can get better. And so I say growth mindset with a dash of fixed mindset is like, look, ultimately, yes, I want you to be a little bit more reliant on things like effort, persistence, resilience, bouncing back, like all that is true. And if you have that and no fixed mindset, what you really get is someone who's not confident and just thinks whatever happens, it's cool as long as I tried hard. And that's, I know this is taboo to say, that is not how the world works, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and you hear this all the time in sports stuff, right? Oh, just trust the process. It's all going to work out. Don't focus on the outcome. Like, I think all that is total BS because in sports, you're measured by a scoreboard and an outcome. No one gets kept or retained on a job because they trusted the process, right? You don't want to get retained because you won games. And so you've got to recognize that a big part of this world, any world that's high performance, high, comp high competition, whether it's weightlifting, sales, startups, all these spaces, like talent does matter. Ability does matter. The outcome does matter. It can't all just be, oh, it's all okay as long as I try hard. And so I really tried to push into the nuance of, yes, you, you want both. Like, of course, effort is great. Like, I'm not saying don't try hard. I'm not even saying don't try to learn from failure. Of course you should try. It's just recognize those things are harder than we think they are. And without that ability or the belief in the ability that you have, you're never really going to maximize that effort. Yeah, man, I love it. Um, is growth mindset something you could teach? If somebody comes in and they have a belief that they're fixed or maybe they, what well, comes to mind, there's a bit of overlap here, but maybe they attach to the identity of like, hey, this is how I am. And, and I'm curious if you have some strategy or, or theory or, or practice around how you could help someone overcome that fixed identity. The way that we do that in sport is by really targeting our feedback effectively. So you're not going to necessarily erase the fixed part, but if you start to give feedback about what you want people to pay attention to, people will follow that and their mindset will change sort of via influence, right? So for example, as a coach, you might think about giving feedback about how hard someone's working versus how gifted they are, right? Like, oh, instead of the, hey, you're really talented, like we need you out there because you're just the best player. It's like, you're working really hard. We really want to reward that. As a reward, you're going to get to play more, right? So you think about emphasizing things like effort, persistence, hard work. It, the more you emphasize that and shape that with your language, the more someone is going to come to internalize that that is like a critical factor to be paying attention to. And then you can start to give some of the feedback that sort of illustrates how controllable that is, right? So when someone's effort inevitably isn't as good as it always is, right? Like, hey, you know, I noticed that you didn't give as much effort today. Like, what could you do tomorrow to ramp that back up, right? And you're illustrating through the way that you're talking to somebody just how much control they have really over what we call the growth mindset, right? This idea that I can come in and give good effort and work hard and be persistent. So that's the main way we try to shape it, right? And coaches shape it, parents shape it, peers shape it, like all of us with what we emphasize helps change someone's mindset. I don't personally want to punish someone who sort of believes like 
this is just the way that I am. And I mean, punish and like the, the literal consequences, behaviorist sense as a psychologist, like I wouldn't personally like double down and say, no, you shouldn't think that way. Like, I think we can come find other creative ways to help you come into contact with the limits of that way of thinking. Right. So ultimately for me, it's not really about do or don't think about you are this way. It's about recognizing how that is essentially a self-limiting belief, right? Like at some point you're going to come into the edge of what you are and you're going to need to be some other way or be something else. And if you don't believe that that's possible, then we're going to hit the limit of what's fully your potential. And so we can sort of break down that fixed mindset part in the unhelpful places a little bit by just helping you realize the limitations of your own beliefs. Um, but we can really shape the growth mindset with that good feedback. Are you using any behavioral assessment tools or um, anything any like yeah, behavioral or personality assessment tools to identify where these people sit on these spectrums? Um, I'm not for se- several reasons. Um, you've touched on it a few times in our conversation, but people are notoriously bad self-reporters. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best way to sort of tease any of this apart is to watch, right? And um, you know, you see them, I mean, in my world, I see them in a, an environment, a training environment almost every day from uh, September to April. So you get pretty clear, pretty quick, you know, and I mean, you can see if you watch any professional sporting event, right, you can see how people respond after a missed shot, made shot. Uh, what do they do when things get more challenging? How do they answer questions? You know, you're looking for some of those things. Uh, but if I just asked you, you know, growth mindset or fixed mindset, most people tell you they have a growth mindset because that's sure. what they think the right answer is. One of the things you said earlier was you you like to help curate the environment for people. And I'm curious, one thing that comes to mind is I know some people, certainly some athletes are externally motivated, maybe by the people around them. They want to win. They want to beat them. Some people are internally motivated. They just want to be the best version of themselves. Do you ever curate or do you have the capacity to curate? like workout environments or practice environments to make sure, hey, these guys are paired together because they're going to feed off each other's energy to work to work better together, say in the gym, whereas these other guys over here, like he just wants to be by himself. He does way better when he just has that privacy, that, that ability to be alone. Do you ever go to that nuance of being able to, to curate that for people? Because that's really interesting to me because I know for me personally, like I want to beat everybody. If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm standing in a room with a bunch of guys who are good, I'm going to find a way to, to beat them. And that would really drive me. Whereas I know other people... Just want to be left alone. We don't go to that level. I think for for a few reasons, right? One is like we're a team, so I think fi- you know before anything else, right? Like it, the team has to come before all, all the individual needs, regardless of what your own needs are. Like it, it's really about what the team needs. But if I were not in this environment and I was thinking about an environment like yours, or even more individual sports like tennis or golf, I would absolutely be thinking about that in a training. Because I think part of training is figuring out how you like maximize the value of that, right? Like uh, so much of training, unfortunately, I'd be really curious about like your experience of this in in your space, but in the pro sports space and the college sports space, when I've been around, so much of training is left on the table. Like there's so much that's just going through the motions, not super high value, not not really all that thought out. It's just kind of like, oh, these are the way we've always done uh, these, we've always done football practice with 27 periods and they're always this long and they're always this structure. And we just repeat the same things every Monday and every Tuesday. And it's like, and this just is one uninspired, but two, probably not maximizing any one individual's ability here. 
I, so I would think for sure in those those environments, I would be playing with it a bit a bit more to really get the most out of that. Is that yeah. true in your space? Is that a fair assumption? So I don't know if, it, if it's true in, in bodybuilding space, but it's true certainly in, I mean, it's not in my world, but it's certainly true in pro sports that I've experienced. It's like if there's a, if there's a, if there's a strength coach that's been there for 15 to 20 years, it's his way or the highway, right? And even though you realize like, hey man, this is like very outdated and then people are afraid to, to make changes because there's so much bureaucracy. Um, yeah, it's so true. And, and, and I'm, what I'm seeing, I don't know if you're seeing this, this, the teams that actually move away from that are starting to separate themselves from the pack, which is really great to see because I know personally some teams who are actually hiring really, really effective performance coaches or, or, or you know, directors of performance and doing an exceptional job in in tracking you know the the metrics, the training volume, the you know the the, the playing volume, and making sure people are actually uh, you know maximizing their physical capability as being measured uh, by you know certainly point outcome, but certainly also um, man game injuries, right? Man games missed, um, which I think are maybe two of the most important metrics when it comes to sports. Sure. So yeah. yeah, I think. You're right in saying that it, there's still a huge percentage of the population that's very primitive, but I do see, you know, I, and I don't know a percentage, but I do see a percentage of them that are going in the right direction. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, I, I feel like there's, as the technology advances, as our knowledge and understanding advances, the space is sometimes a little bit slower to keep up, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I do I do see a few few places who are really at the at the forefront of this, and they're using it as competitive advantage, right? It's filling totally. up and, space. And the reality is, as you'll probably also know, there's a very small handful of guys in the world who are experienced enough, capable enough to understand all of the potential influences, right? You throw somebody in as, as the director of performance, you got to have a lot of faith in this guy's ability to make really good decisions, not waste time, not waste money on a bunch of stuff that's probably not going to work out anyways. You can't have someone who's like, too fast on the technology because you know he's going to waste money on stuff. He can't be got who's too slow on technology because he's going to waste time. There's a, I understand the trepidation to make changes because there's a there's a lot of responsibility going into those people's hands to uh, you know because as, as a performance coach you got to know everything man you got to know everything from all angles. You know again I'm sure you guys have performance coaches with the Raptors and I'm sure you're involved in some of those conversations on how to maximize each person's output. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, we're we're all thinking about performance. I mean, that's the beauty of the team, right? We're all thinking about performance from our own angle as we come together and uh, you've got a pretty robust group there, but it has to be that holistic approach that's figuring out where you I mean, really squeeze out one percent for, for yeah. everything. I mean, that's that's the difference in a lot of these games. Yeah, and then making those those decisions on well, which one's most effective for which guy, right? We only have so much time and you know, like that's there's a lot of there's a lot there, a lot, a lot of responsibility for sure. Yeah. Um. You you sent your Twitter recently, and I loved it. That the best coaches in the world have maximum ten rules. Talk to me about that, and where does that theory come from? The theory comes from life, right? Like you know, being around. I mean, I've been around NBA champion head coaches, NFL Super Bowl winning head coaches, college national champions, time and time again, um, Olympic gold medalist coaches, like these really really elite performers essentially as coaches right like i think of coaches as, as performers too totally. and so i've started to think a bit about like what are the things that that separate them and this was just sort of a cheeky maybe example of one of the behaviors that they do 
Uh, but really at the core of this idea is like, look, they simplify the message. They have a really clear vision and they're able to sort of craft their craft the culture to fit what it is that they want in a really simplified way that people can follow. And so what I think is the beauty of the 10 rules um, is that it it's simple enough that people can grasp it and it doesn't feel overwhelming. It's comprehensive enough when that's done right that it can guide almost all behavior that happens under the roof of a athletic facility or in the context of a program. And it's then digestible and accessible enough to the athletes that they want to internalize and action it. So I've also seen the opposite, right? Where coaches have, I mean, handbooks, right? You have 40 pages, 50 pages of rules, what to wear on the bus, what not to wear on the bus, how you do this with your cleats, where you put your helmet, what kind of face paint you can wear. And it's just like, this over legislation of performance or over legislation of how the culture should be done just ends up being super restrictive, right? Um, and so I think there's there's a beauty to this sweet spot. Ten is is sort of an arbitrary number, but there's a beauty to this sweet spot where essentially what you've done is give freedom within a structure. And I think what we find is that people who are in that situation where they're given the autonomy to execute, they're given freedom to deliver in a way that allows them to fully express themselves and their strengths, and they know the way they're supposed to do that within the structure is a really good recipe for people performing well. People don't perform well when there's no structure, and people don't perform well when there's only one way to do it. When we, when you think about performance mindset and maximizing performance, what have we missed so far in a conversation that we shouldn't miss? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we've, I don't know how we would get to it, but you know, I think there's just, there's so much more to this space that's just like bubbling under the surface. And I think one of the places we started was like this idea of a framework. And so I'd love to share what I'm thinking. I don't know that it's right, but I'd love to share what I'm thinking and kind of hear, hear what you have to say about it. Because I think it could help me get better. Yeah, I'd love to hear. So it's still still loosely formed, but you you sort of heard you know some of the factors, right? So the environment, the wellness piece, the optimized mindsets, the self regulation. The other parts of my framework I'm thinking about are practice and preparation. So both psychological and physical practice. I mean, this is something I played a lot with in the non sport space for performance, but like executives and other leaders, where it's like most of those people don't really practice, but if they did, they would be excellent. So that's one. The second is energy management. So your ability to sort of ramp up, ramp down, know when you need to refuel, know when you have a little bit more to give, understanding the context, figuring out how to increase it. The third is kind of what I would describe as presence. So presence sort of to me encompasses things like focus, attention, but also being fully in the moment. The fourth bucket would be resilience. So the ability to sort of respond to stressors, bounce back, and ultimately bounce forward in your performance so you know like um i think the best definition i ever heard of resilience was this idea that resilience is really seeking growth even when the conditions don't support it and so that's a lot of how i think about resilience a little bit less from that lens of like there's always an adversity or a failure and now you've got to bounce back but a little bit more like regardless you know there's the there's these conditions that are maybe not favorable and you're still seeking to push yourself ahead so that's kind of my that's my fourth factor, fourth bucket. And then my fifth bucket is this idea of like psychological flexibility, adaptive capacity, sort of this ability to live according to your values, right? Pursue, pursue your goals in a meaningful way, remain open to your experience, 
deal with your thinking, feeling, and physiology well and stay present with performance. What do you think? Yeah, I, love it. I think one thing, one thing you also said on your Twitter that shouldn't be overlooked, and I'm sure you've considered this, is like tracking and reflection. So like I think people who are, who are repeatedly, repeatedly successful tra- either, either track or certainly reflect. And sometimes it's done dynamically. As you say, it's the idea of presence. But sometimes it's also done kind of retroactively or where you're going to go do a debrief. And I think you just wrote about this recently on Twitter as well. It's like, it has to be done. It has to be like, I, we have to be able to reflect in an honest fashion with ourselves on how we performed and what could we do better. And not only what could we do better, but what are we going to do to make sure it's better next time? And I think that's that's a hallmark for me of people who succeed as people who are just constantly iterating. They're constantly looking for, like you said, the difference between growth and fixed, or the dynamic between growth and fixed. Is it like, yeah, I know I can be better, and I'm going to look for that nuance. I think that's what what makes set me apart was the level of detail, mm-hmm. second to none. Like, and I knew that there there was no one that was going to do the level of detail, pay attention to as many details, and reflect as often as I did. Just iterate, iterate, iterate. So it's like, just go. I think that's it. I think that you. I know you were strong on that on your on your Twitter, and that was a. Really good point. I like that. I'll have to figure out where I include that. But that's that's awesome. I appreciate this. This was fun, man. Yeah, man. Likewise, dude. I'm a nerd for this stuff. Uh, what are the three last books that you've read that have made an impact on you, or two books uh, specific to this space, or specific to any space, actually? Yeah, sure. So probably The Art of Impossible by Stephen Kotler. I think love that. Really Pretty good. Yeah, performance book. I really, really enjoyed Free Freely Determined. That's what it's called by Keenan Sheldon. It's a little bit on the denser side as books go, but if you can get past that, it's a really, really good book on kind of free will, but also just like all the factors that go into someone living their like fully agentic, authentic life. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And then Transcend by Scott Barry Kaufman is another one I've, I've really enjoyed. I would say... I know you asked for three, but I'm going to give you a couple more. Probably, probably the book that I still like think about the most, and I'm trying to get deeper into that's probably been the most important psychology book I've read in the last 10 years was Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain by Lisa Feldman Barrett. She's a good friend and just like an absolutely brilliant neuroscientist, but she really changed the way I think about how performance is executed and what really happens when people are playing. Um, you know, so you hear things like read and react and it's like, uh, no, it's actually like predict, <laughs> you know, like very opposite. Right. And so like, that's been a real game changer for me. And then the fifth one I'd give you that it's influencing my work in ways I wouldn't have imagined. And I can't still really figure out how it's doing this was noise by Daniel Kahneman and Cass yeah. Sunstein, not really a performance book, really a book about decision-making and judgment. But when I think about elite performance, whether it's sports, business, performing arts, a lot of it comes down to things like decision-making, performance under pressure, and leadership, like these kind of bigger buckets. And so if decision-making is one core bucket, I want to get really good at understanding how people make good decisions. That's a hugely important point. So I was saying to my kids the other day that uh, you know, if I, if one, of the, one of the main wishes I have for them is that they make good decisions. And I also said that I, I tend to explore over the next 10 years, my kids are 9 and 11, over the next 10 years, how to support them in making good decisions. Because as we know, it's it's probably not the conscious mind that's driving the bus in most cases. 
yeah, I understand that would be great. So I'll definitely dig into thinking all, all Daniel Kahneman stuff is fantastic. But Alex, man, I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for what you do. I uh, mean, hopefully we can do it again. Look forward to connecting in the future. Anytime, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. This was a pleasure. Thanks. That's a wrap, ladies and gents. Thank you for being a consistent guest of the Muscle Intelligence, or call it listener of the Muscle Intelligence podcast. Uh, you are definitely my guest in being here. And thank you to Alex Arbeck for joining me today to, to really dive into performance psychology. As I said, I've been a student of performance psychology since I was probably 17 because I really wanted to understand what makes people tick. I still am uh, this constant student of life and I see people who are just crushing it. And then I see people who are just sabotaging themselves and just running face first into the wall, the same all over and over again. I start to just really wonder and ponder, like, what's the difference? And what is that key that we can just simply offer to unlock, you know, human potential? And human potential is almost always limited by psychology, right? Certainly there's some physical limitations, I guess, some physical um, boundaries, we'll say. Right, of, of the human system because everyone has different uh, capabilities. But I don't think there's very many people on this planet who have exhausted the extent of their physical capabilities. And certainly the reason you're not exhausting the extent of your physical capabilities, all of us, myself included, are psychological limitations. Right, So that's either the standard to which you hold yourself, the goals you set, or some limiting belief or what you think you're capable of. And you know, if there's somebody out there running a 100-mile marathon, if there's somebody out there squatting 1,000 pounds, it doesn't mean you have to do that. It doesn't mean you have to run a hundred mile marathon at once without resting. It doesn't mean you have to squat a thousand pounds or bench press you know, seven hundred pounds. But if someone could do that much, then you can do a fraction of that, right? And that was literally the message I gave myself around how I became a professional bodybuilder. I saw Marcus Rule, um, previous professional bodybuilder, sitting with you know a table with his arms on a, on a table just like I am now, and he was literally resting his chin on his chest. And I was like, that's not even human. If that guy can build that much muscle, then I could become a professional bodybuilder, even because I don't think I would need that much. And uh, I did it. And that was a big inspiration for me. So hopefully you guys take inspiration from everything around you and lift everyone else around you up. And let's create a community of leaders in this world, ultimately men and women that show up at the highest and best for themselves. So you can show up at the highest and best of what matters most to you. For me, it's family. Second, it's my team. And then it's my tribe. It's my community, like people like yourself. So guys, thanks for being here. Sorry for the long intros and outros. Uh, just a little inspired today. And one more time, shout out to my camp, muscleintelligence.com slash camp. You get to interact with me personally. I'm there. I'm teaching it. Myself, my head coach, Gavin uh, Torrey, who's uh, just a fat loss master, a programming master, and just an amazing overall human. And you guys will know in my life now, I surround myself with really, really great people. Uh, and you should too, right? And this is by design, not by accident, right? I, I choose the people I'm around. I'd rather be by myself than around people that I don't want to be around. And uh, my, my community, my network of coaches is just truly remarkable. And I feel blessed to work with them every day. If you're someone who wants to be coached by me or by my team, you can reach out to us at muscleintelligence.com slash apply. That's A-P-P-L-Y. And a final shout out to our sponsor, naturalstacks.com slash muscle, naturalstacks.com slash muscle. Use the code muscle15 at checkout, 15% off. Uh, super high quality supplements that are super high uh, quality standard for testing and purity in every bottle of supplements has a QR code where you can see the third party testing results. Um, their brain food series is absolutely worth checking out. These are supplements formulated in combination of, of um, precursors for your neurotransmitters. 
Uh, but as I said, I just love guys, ladies. Thank you. You're awesome. Keeping awesome. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.